Love Philly Dan, and um, have been working on my Philly Dan album collection, and I got a, a copy of Asia for two bucks. I figured it was pretty thrash, but I just cleaned it up and am listening to it, and it is awesome. Nice. Yeah, I have a co- I have another copy of it, but it's uh, uh, Canadian red vinyl, so I just wanted a copy to play. Right. Not to beat up the colored vinyl one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But um <clears throat> so anybody out there, um keep your eye out for Stilly Dan records for me. <laughs> nice. I need to fill up fill my holes. I've been getting into golden earring lately. I didn't realize they were yeah. like Radar Love, Twilight Zone, of course, but I, I didn't know, realize there were so many other, lots of good stuff. Yeah, I, uh, of course, I know those songs, but um, I've never really listened. I need to give them a. Yeah, that's how I was. Yeah. Well, they pretty good, actually. Yeah. There's so many uh, forgotten gems. I mean, bands that didn't even have recording contracts you know right i mean there were so many you know it's it's, uh there's still plenty of good unheard music and unseen movies you know always (laughs) (laughs) all right i got one from texas all right uh, from the rosales database um Location, Appleby, Texas, October 1976, 6 a.m. On a cold winter morning, the witness who lived on 30 acres of wood in gigantic hills alone stepped outside to burn some trash. A strange being with wings was sitting on a bench in her flower garden watching her with interest. She said the figure was very tall and very strongly built. Its skin and wings were a solid pale gray color. Its eyes were solid black. She couldn't tell where the pupil was at all. It was genderless and naked from what she could see. It had a strange way of moving around, making it look animal-like. It jerked his head about in quick snaps like a bird would. Mm. That's freaky. Yeah. (laughs) It had long, white, straight hair that reached down to the middle of its back. Its ears were kind of pointed backwards like an elf. She said it let out a series of strange hums when it opened its mouth. It almost sounded like it was singing to her, making something of a call. Then it almost seemed to smile at her, and everything got blindingly bright. The witness Mm. covered her eyes and face and said, she said it also felt very hot. When the events died out altogether, she looked where it had been, but all she saw was a badly burned out spot. 
Later mm-hmm. inspection revealed that the bench had been heated up at a very high temperature. It was burned and crumbling at the spot. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the bench stuff. I actually did watch that last night. Um, the YouTube channel you were talking about where they have him on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I I don't know if uh um yeah, he should be coming on again soon. I don't know if he does does it with Albert once a month, maybe more than that, but Yeah, I'll, I'm yeah. keeping an eye on and subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> he seems to uh um put out a lot of stuff and he does it totally on his own yeah i think his name's cardinal sin yeah and the and it was name really of the show. it was just sharing all the accounts it was yeah show. yeah i dig it yep do you want to do more or you want me to go into my um Go ahead and do yours, and I'll because I got a long one coming. Okay. Okay. All right. So I was going off the bedroom invader type type topic. (laughs) All right. Michael Reynolds was a punk rock fan with a cliche emo haircut and not (laughs) one, but three lip piercings. (laughs) He never had any trouble with the ladies during his mid teenage years because he was the singer in a high school band. And so he used to receive a lot of attention from the opposite sex. Things changed, however, when Michael turned 18 and began attending the University of Chicago. His parents paid for accommodation in one of the 48 different residence halls and houses at the college. And the young man soon settled into his biology course. He knew it was time to grow up and act like an adult, which is why he put little effort into making friends during the first few months away from home. Michael would bury his head in textbooks at every spare moment to ensure he achieved the best possible education for his father's investment. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not going to go hard, go home, his father would say. One night, here we go. One night at around a quarter to three in the morning, Michael awoke in his dorm room to a knock at the door. He presumed it must have been one of the other guys in his building looking to borrow something. So the young man ignored the noise and remained in bed. The door knocked again. And this time, Michael frustratedly threw his bed sheets back and walked across his bedroom. There was a spy hole in the door but it appeared there was nobody standing on the other side. Hmm, maybe they got bored and left, he thought to himself before turning back towards his bed. As he did that, the door knocked a third time. Michael once again put his eye to the spy hole but saw nothing other than the empty corridor. Suspicious someone was playing a trick on him, the young man turned his key and opened the door. violating sight of a beautiful young lady. 
She was about five feet tall with black hair and lily white skin. She wore dark eyeshadow that made her electric blue eyes irresistibly alluring. And the girl just stood there with a cheeky grin on her face. Hello there, Michael said sheepishly. Can I help you? I'm looking for somebody fun, the girl said in a somewhat seductive and provocative manner. Are you fun? She continued while staring straight into Michael's eyes. What followed was an hour of raw passion that began the moment the mysterious lady grabbed hold of Michael, <laughs> kissed him hard, and pushed him backwards into the room towards the bed. The door slammed behind them, and the young lovers ripped each other's clothes off like animals. They eventually collapsed together on the bed, intertwined and panting loudly. That was some of the best exercise Michael had ever had. You never even told me your name, the drained biology student murmured and as his tired eyes closed and he drifted off to sleep. When Michael woke to his alarm at 7 a.m., he was alone in the dorm room. The stunning girl from a few hours earlier was nowhere to be seen and she hadn't left a note before slipping out. Michael wondered who she could have been. He was determined to ask around and find out. The guy reasoned that she must be living in the building or one very close by. Otherwise, he couldn't work out what she would have been doing there at 3 a.m. Sadly, and not for lack of trying, Michael was unable to identify his mystery lover that day. He spoke to classmates as they walked into the lecture hall that morning, but none of them recognized her by the description he gave. At dinner, the young man made an effort to talk to the other boys in the storm, but none of them could help out either. It seemed as though he was stuck and Michael was beginning to think he might never see his late night lover again. That made him feel a little sad and he'd never felt so close and intimate with another human being in his entire life. And though he knew other people would think it's silly, he really liked this girl. Michael sat in his bedroom all evening, hoping and praying for another knock at the door. At midnight, the disappointed young man climbed into bed, feeling deflated. Whoever you are, please come back, he whispered under his breath before climbing under the sheets. Wow. All was still and quiet until 3 a.m. when Michael awoke to the sound of banging. It was the door. He flew out of bed and across his bedroom as fast as his tired legs would allow. And sure enough, the Mr. Girl was standing in the hallway when he opened the door. I was hoping I'd see you again, Michael said, and he let her inside and closed the door. What is your name? Where did you go yesterday morning? And he continued, but the girl didn't speak a word. Instead, she silently placed her hand on Michael's chest and began to kiss him passionately on the mouth. For the next two hours, Michael and the mystery girl engaged in all sorts of fiery lovemaking. It was as if the rest of the world didn't exist. The couple were lost in intense and heated pleasure, the likes of which the young man had never experienced. The girl seemed to know exactly how to turn him on, and she wasn't shy about her desire to satisfy. When it was all over, Michael was determined to get some answers from his new late night lover. So he began asking the same questions as before. What is your name? Where are you from? What are you studying? The girl spoke for the first time and said that her name was Raven, but refused to tell him much else. 
Every time the young man attempted to pry further, the mysterious raven would just cuddle into him harder and reach for a kiss to avoid his questions. <laughs> At 5.30 a.m., Michael's new friend, Raven, gave him one last kiss on the lips before sliding out of bed and walking into the bathroom, shutting the door behind her. The young man sat there staring at the handle of the door, waiting to see Raven emerge. But 20 minutes later, there was still no sign of her. He got out of bed and knocked on the door to ask if she needed any assistance. There was no reply. Michael tried a couple more times before reaching down and turning the handle. Upon opening the bathroom door, the sleepy biology student received the shock of his life. The room was empty. Michael's bathroom only had one door and it didn't have any windows. It was physically impossible for anyone to get out of that room by any means other than the door they used to get in there. Still, the boy knew his eyes weren't lying. She really was gone. Perhaps I fell asleep for a moment and she decided to sink out, he thought to himself. Michael knew that was unlikely as he had no memory of sleeping at all since 3 a.m. But he couldn't come up with any other rational explanation. Unsurprisingly, the young man didn't get any more sleep that morning. He attended his lectures that day with bags under his eyes and he just could not concentrate on anything other than reading. Michael was a little freaked out by her sudden disappearance but that just made him more determined than ever to get some answers from her. If he turned up in his store tonight, there would be no sex until she laid her <laughs> cards on the table. That is what he decided, no matter how difficult it might be to refuse her advances. Michael went to sleep early that night because he was so incredibly tired. He also knew there was likely to be a knock at his store at 3 a.m. And the guy wanted to make sure he was rested enough to deal with the situation and stand his ground. Like clockwork, Michael awoke to Raven knocking on his door a few hours later. He let her into his dorm room, but this time the young man insisted they had a they have a conversation before they could get into bed. Raven nodded her head in agreement before asking what Michael wanted to know. I just want to know who you are, he said with a smile on his face. You turn up here, we have amazing sex, then you disappear, but I don't know anything about you. I also want to know how you got out of the bathroom without me noticing this morning. Raven looked Michael dead in the eyes, sighed, and said, I'm not like other girls, Michael. I don't want you to get too attached to me because this can never turn into anything more. That's why I just want us to have fun. The young man felt his heart sink. He genuinely believed this girl might have been the one and he thought he might be falling in love with her. I'm sure we can work things out. We can be together properly, can't we? Michael said, what's the problem? We can deal with anything together. Raven hung her head and began looking sad. We really can't solve this problem, Michael. I wish we could, but it's impossible, she said. The young man put his arms around Raven and held her tightly. Just tell me what it is, he said. Nothing is ever bad, is ever as bad as it seems. That's when Raven just blurted it out. I'm dead, Michael, she said, <laughs> before squeezing him even more tightly than before. I died here six years ago and I've been hanging around ever since. Nobody else has ever been able to see me, let alone touch me. I don't know what this connection is that we have, 
but I don't want to lose it. You're the only thing I have, Michael. Without you, I'm invisible. A little confused by Raven's admission, the biology student, who had always believed in science and reason, began contemplating her statement. He couldn't see her through the spy hole in his door whenever she knocked. Nobody else ever, nobody else at the college seemed to know who she was, and the girl managed to disappear into thin air every morning before the sun came up. Wait, he said, you're actually telling me the truth, aren't you? The two of them chatted for the next couple of hours until it was time for Raven to leave. She informed Michael that her entire existence revolved around appearing in the corridor outside his dorm room in the early hours of the morning and then disappearing into nothingness a couple hours later. For her, it was like Groundhog Day. And she just wanted to make her experience as fun and loving as possible. Michael agreed that their illicit liaisons could continue. <laughs> and he kissed Raven on the lips before allowing her to go. See you tomorrow, gorgeous, he said, as his lover vanished into thin air. Michael remained at the University of Chicago for the next four years, and while his parents and friends were often confused about why he never brought a girlfriend home, anyone who reads the story should now understand that the guy had his reasons. His relationship with Raven continued in secret right up until he was forced <laughs> to move out of his dorm room at the end of the course. <laughs> <laughs> she still visits him in his dreams sometimes. And although Michael is now married to a woman who isn't dead, <laughs> he holds many fond memories from those hot nights of raw passion at university. Raven was right though. They could never have become a proper couple because she was dead and her spirit was confined within the walls of the dorm. Still, Michael jokes that his, if his wife ever asks for a divorce, he's going to sign the papers and then immediately enroll on a PhD course at UC. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out why. So is this the end of their story? Will Raven and Michael reunite in the future? Only time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, many, like ghost lover stories, like, and this is from um, "In Love with the Ghosts" by Lee Brickney. It's a whole bunch of um, ghost lover stories. Cool. And I can't tell you how many times, like, growing up, like, widows will will tell you that a lot. You could probably do a whole book on that, but widows. I just knew so many women that lost their husbands that swear they had sex with them after he died. Wow. Yeah, there were in that um, uh, that Brad Steiger book we covered, mm -hmm. there were a few accounts of that. Mm -hmm. I've got it around here somewhere. I can't remember the name of it. It was really good though. Yeah, that's great. And uh you sent me this, and I love the article so much, I figured we'd uh, go through it, if you want. <laughs> and what, I, what I'll do, I'll cut it into two parts. Okay. And we can do the part two next time. But it's called The Bedroom Invaders by John mm -hmm. Kill. Um, John Kill was the best he wrote. 
three of my favorites, uh, Operation Trojan Horse, The Mothman Prophecies, and The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. And he did, uh, he wrote a ton of articles for the old UFO zines. Yes. The best articles. (laughs) I think he was just an amazing writer. Um, Yeah, it's called The Bedroom Invaders by John Kuehl. Did you ever wake up in the middle of the night with a distinct feeling that someone or something was standing in your bedroom staring at you in the darkness? Many people have had this uneasy experience and those mysterious intruders have proven to be not burglars but bizarre entities who can appear and disappear like ghosts. They are in fact the basis for many chilling ghost stories. But there is now mounting evidence which strongly suggests that such entities are in some way directly related to the flying saucer phenomenon. Strange unidentified persons of unusual stature and appearance have been popping up all over the U.S. and all over the world in recent years. Sheriff's posses have pursued them without success and many of the witnesses have been unwilling to discuss their encounters with these characters, fearing ridicule from friends and neighbors. In many of these cases, these mystery men have been described as wearing capes and hoods, something like a monk's cow. They are nearly always of unusual size, both in height and girth. At first, ufologists tended to dismiss these stories as being the works of pranksters, but now identical reports have come from nearly every state and from overseas as well. These prowlers show a marked tendency for appearing consistently in UFO flap areas, areas Mm -hmm. where UFO sightings are numerous, while test studies in non-flap sectors have failed to turn up similar reports. Big, broad-shouldered men wearing capes and hoods have been seen all over the world, usually walking along desolate roads in thinly populated areas. In October 1967, three men were driving along Route 2 in West Virginia when they saw a big caped man walking beside the road, a most unusual sight in that area. They stopped their car and looked back, but he was gone. There were open fields on both sides of the road, and no place for him to hide. A group of eight men wearing thick black cows startled motorists near mm-hmm. Caterham, England on July 28, 1963, according to newspaper reports collected by the British journal Flying Saucer Review. Witnesses said that the mystery men departed by running and leaping across the road. Their actions were silent and most odd. More than a century earlier, there were repeated appearances of a strange Cape man in England. He turned up during the 1830s and was able to run with amazing swiftness and leap great distances with ease. He became known as Spring Hill Jack, and extensive searches failed to locate him. Caped and hooded men have occasionally been reported as the actual pilots of flying saucers and unidentified flying objects. Some of these cases go far back in history, long before the first heavily publicized flying saucer scare of 1947. 
One such pilot was seen by the crew of a Norwegian freighter in 1934. Norway, Sweden, and Finland had a massive wave of sightings of ghost airplanes and strange flying lights beginning in December 1933 and continuing through the spring of 1934. The air forces of all three countries tried in vain to track down and capture these ghost flyers, and the witnesses numbered in the thousands. Mm -hmm. Late in 1934, Late in January 1934, the freighter Tordenskold was on a routine run along the Norwegian coast between Tromsø and Kabelag when a great grayish machine suddenly appeared in the sky and swooped down over the ship. As it passed low over the freighter, a brilliant beam of light shot from the object and lit up the deck like daylight. Such search, such searchlights are common in UFO reports from all over the world. Captain Sigvard Olsen and his crew reported that the mysterious craft was so close that the pilot was clearly visible. They described the pilot as being dressed in some kind of cloak or cape with a hood covering his head. He also wore, wore large glasses or goggles of some sort. Again, begoggled UFO pilots are mentioned in many reports. Mm -hmm. Mr. Jerome Clark, a leading American ufologist, sent me the following report in March 67. I have been told of two similar cases in Minnesota. The first incident occurred last April, according to what the witness told me. He and a friend had been driving along the highway about 11.30 p.m. They were miles from the nearest town and they could not see any other cars on the road. Since the land in northwestern Minnesota is very flat, their visibility was almost unlimited. So they were understandably shocked and surprised when in their headlights they caught three large men walking abreast and toward them from the other lane of the highway. Mm -hmm. The men were dressed in black cows that covered the upper half of their faces. There were slits for the eyes. Mm -hmm. The strangers, whoever, whatever they were, paid no attention to the car and continued on as if it had never passed. The second incident allegedly occurred in Canby, Minnesota, several years ago. An acquaintance of mine was taking a shortcut home through an alley. He was not paying any particular attention to the direction he was going and almost walked into another person in the alley. The stranger seemed quite startled and turned to stare in surprise. The man was very tall and massive and was dressed in a black cape that covered the top half of his face. He seemed to be carrying something that resembled a large black bag. From Cape Cod to the tip of Florida, we have heard of un unidentified prowlers roaming the countryside at night. During the UFO flap around Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1966 to 1967, Several witnesses told me that giant leering faces had peered into the windows of their homes. Mm -hmm. on, ins on inspection, some of these windows were too high for ordinary men to reach. They described the, men's, the man's face as being evil with silver gray hair. In the winter of 1966-1967, an unusually tall, about 6'6", prowler in coveralls with silver gray hair caused a turmoil among the residents of Provincetown, Massachusetts. Okay. 
There had been numerous UFO sightings by fishermen in the area. More recently, isolated farmers in Delaware County in the upper part of New York State have been chasing a mysterious intruder who has appeared around their homes at night, peering into the windows and grinning idiotically. Witnesses say that he has silver gray hair and is dressed in some kind of coverall garment. As in so many other cases, this New York prowler has eluded pursuers by leaping easily over high obstacles and running faster than any of the rugged farmers. There is no known person in any of these areas who answers this basic description. Our Cape giant has also turned up frequently in the state of New Jersey. A family on Cape May who had reported a number of interesting UFO sightings over the Coast Guard radio installation near their home told me that a tall man in a long white cape had appeared around their home in January 1967. The next day, they found fresh human-like footprints in the snow. These footprints led to a high wall, which would have been hard to climb, let alone jump over, and continued on the other side. They led to the wall of a nearby shed where they stopped abruptly. In the spring of 1966, an Air Force WAF returned to her ground floor apartment on the edge of the closely guarded McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey one evening and heard a sound in her bedroom. She went to investigate and found her window open and a pair of very pale hands with extraordinarily long fingers resting on the windowsill (laughs) as if a man were about to climb in. She screamed and the hands withdrew. She found the air police and they searched the area. Later, they admitted they had seen and pursued the prowler, a very tall man with his sweater pulled up over his head. Even in this uncomfortable state, the man was able to run and leap with incredible agility. This WAF, a master sergeant whom I have known for 15 years, was puzzled by my interest in this sweater detail in the long fingers. I like this part. Following journalistic tradition, it is my practice to tell witnesses as little as possible and never ask leading questions. Mm -hmm. In the innumerable contact cases now being studied by ufologists, the witnesses have frequently described unusually long fingers on the UFO nuts. This is now such a common description that is an that it is an accepted physical characteristic of one group of UFO nuts, and they are termed LFs because of it. This long-fingered factor is seldom mentioned in print, so there's little chance that isolated witnesses would know of it. I asked the WAF if she had any comparable experiences, and she recounted an incident which she had almost completely forgotten. And I got one little part, and I'll stop. Mm-hmm. Several years previously, she said she had been staying in a motel in Mexico when she woke up one night to find a giant cowed figure standing over her bed. Mm-hmm. It extended one arm above her, and she reached out to touch it. The second her fingers touched the arm, the whole entity crumbled and disappeared. It felt powdery like ashes, she explained. What if what have powdery ghosts got to do with flying saucers? Such stories are not unusual. 
they simply are not widely circulated, not even by the UFO fan magazines, which are more preoccupied with little men than with allied monsters and melting forms. In several cases, the objects themselves have reportedly disintegrated into metallic powder when struck. Mm -hmm. And I'll stop there. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like quickie. Like, we're going to do a quickie. (laughs) I have more stuff too, but I can save it too. Okay. Yeah, but he's, I mean, this is such an amazing article. And I think I've read it before, but when you sent it to me and I read it again, I was like, this guy was so good at what he did. And I mean, this, this article is like 1968, I think. Mm -hmm. And he's already, um, seeing that all this stuff is connected. Right. You know, all, all these, um, um, other, uh, ufologists, they're kind of, hyper-focusing on the spaceman mm-hmm. thing. Right, and, and he's collecting all the other stuff, right? Yeah, they ignore, they're ignoring all this bizarre uh, uh, things that happen to these people, you know? It's like, um, and it seems to happen all the time. And, and um, Kill was one of the first people to really pick up on it, you know, and notice, oh, there's something, go- something else going on here, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah, I love it. The um, uh, like the archetype of the uh, monk mm-hmm. type figures showing up, and and you hear about this stuff all the time. And uh, yeah, it's just great. But there's, I'll I'll finish it up next time. There's a lot more to go into. But, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I have another one too, but I'll I'll save it. I can save it. Okay. Because <laughs> cool. we've gone beyond the quickie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's good. That just yeah. means there's lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll finish up that article. It's really good. Yeah. All right. All I right. We'll be back with we already have stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.